welcome to the Career Mentor Podcast, a program of hunger for success, a nonprofit organization devoted to helping people find and keep family wage jobs. Your host, Brad Lebowski, President and Chair of Hunger for Success. Thank you, everyone, for returning back to the Career Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Lebowski, President and Chair of Hunger for Success. Um, we have two very special guests today in our podcast, and I tell you, I'm, I'm excited about the topic because so much is going on in our lives, and there's so much unknown, but at the same time, we have a lot of people in careers that don't know how to reset and take time for themselves, and it's a strategy that professional sports have used for years. It's a strategy of, of all successful leaders um, no matter how big your responsibility, of understanding the value of time off and taking a pause in what you're doing. Um, we have Max Frenzel with us uh, and John Fitch. Uh, they both spent time working in software startups where uh, many are worshiping the business mantras that are really persuasive and really setting up a working culture. Max got his PhD in quantum physics um, and John is an entrepreneur and business coach. And they're going to spend some time with us in our podcast to not only talk about their book, um, but talk about their experiences and the importance of what time off looks like, why it's important, what their research and, and experiences have done. And I think anyone uh, listening will benefit from it. I think sometimes when things are really hectic, um, some people crash and then some people push so hard forward that you miss you miss that thought process, you miss that rest, you miss that reset because your mind can only handle so much. And it's interesting because that's why you never see a fireman or woman run to a scene. They're trained to walk. So their adrenaline doesn't block their cognitive abilities to assess what's going on. They always walk. So Max and John, thank you so much for being here and joining us, I really appreciate it. Um, I think what I would first do is just ask you both, I don't know of any books that really focus on this, and I think it's such an important topic. Why did you decide to write the book? That's a really good question. First of all, thanks for having us, and thanks for the wonderful introduction. I think the firefight example is a really, really good one, and a lot of people in business could also take a slice of that. Um, the way we got to write this book is actually quite a funny story. So we should maybe start by saying that to this day, John and I have never met in person. This whole thing was done through remote collaboration. So it's kind of a weird feeling, but it all worked out really well. Um, for me, I did my PhD in quantum physics way back. Um, and during that time, I had so much freedom and I actually got a lot of stuff done. So I was living this time off lifestyle, really. But then afterwards, I went into AI startups and I realized, well, slowly, slowly, I was getting more and more busy um, and feeling less productive. And then I had this epiphany sort of on a very slow trip through the, through the mountains here in Japan where I'm living. And it really just hit me that never in my life had I felt more busy and at the same time less productive. And that's when I started writing about the topic of time off um, and just to process my own thoughts. And at some point, John actually came across one of my articles and he was doing a podcast on the same topic at the same time. And he asked me if I want to be a guest on the show. 
And I said, yes, we did the podcast. We became good friends afterwards. And one day I found an email in my inbox from John saying, hey, do you want to write a book together? And that's kind of how the whole thing started. At least that's my perspective. John, uh, let's hear your story as well. Yeah, I, I'm still, I still get tickled that. And I think for y- your listeners, you know, we live in an exciting time with, with certain tools that if we can practice a healthy relationship with them, you can use them to do incredible work. You know, thanks to modern technology, Max and I have been able to produce this awesome project and literally we've never met. And so I think that opportunity for people to collaborate with others around the world, like you, you may be thinking right now in your career shift, Oh, I have to work with people just locally. Whereas no, you might, you might find a collaborator that literally is across the planet. So keep that, keep that in mind. For me, I wrote, I, I mean, Max and I wrote this, um, but in my contributions, what would fuel me in moments that I had doubt that I was, you know, if you, if, if you write anything, there's moments of fatigue and you're really doubting yourself. And I would, I would foster inspiration from writing for my younger self. So I, in, when I was starting my career in, in software, I just immediately subscribed to the dogma that, oh, whoever works the hardest, whoever puts in the most hours will be successful. And I was humbled through uh, a lot of things crashing all at once in my life. And, and so I write this book for that younger version of me that didn't know a better way. Um, and, and yeah, the book puts to in, in the way I have always been shifted by really good books. I've always enjoyed books. Uh, you know, it needs to be a good balance of data and, and stories. And so we made sure in our book that we could not only prove that time off is essential through hard data, but just very compelling, awesome stories of incredible leaders and creatives throughout history who they used time off as, to your point earlier, Brad, as a strategy, not as like a nice to have. At the end of the day, they saw it as a a component to help them produce better work. So yeah, I wrote it for a former version of myself, knowing that there's probably lots of others that are out there, uh, both young, middle-aged and old that could benefit from maybe having an epiphany that more time off could equal better work. I think that's really excellent. And, and you talked about, you know, this work ethic of the harder you work, the more hours you put in. And it struck a chord with me because in generational strategies that we look at, you know, the traditionalists and, and, and some of the, you know, Xers um, are not in the workforce anymore. Uh, we're getting more and more, um, diverse uh, generations in the workforce. And I think regardless of how certain researchers and certain authors have boxed in where if you're, you know, a millennial, you do this. Um, the reality for me is, and I'm reading this because it's a promo for your book, and I, I find it incredibly important, finding your reset ethic are critical to success. So taking your time off, but finding your reset ethic in combination with your work ethic is how you're truly successful. And I think that can go to every generation in the workforce. So help our listeners a little bit, tell them a little bit of, and you don't have to give away, you know, the book, we want them to buy it and read it, but what are some steps someone can take 
to really either find or improve their rest ethic. Mm. So maybe to define the idea of rest ethic, make people kind of more, make it more clear to people what we actually mean by rest ethic. Everyone's heard about work ethic and a lot of people are trying to work on their work ethic and improve it. And that's great. Like it's really important if you want to get stuff done. But we like to think of work ethic and rest ethic like um, inhale and exhale. So work ethic, that's really the inhale part. That's going down your task list, uh, getting stuff done. But a lot of people just keep inhaling and forget the exhale part, right? And that's where the rest ethic comes in. Rest ethic is really this inhale. It's this resetting. It's idea incubation. It's going out into nature and it's spending time in solitude. All these things where really creative idea incubation happens and where this downtime happens and where you really reset yourself. So that's the general idea of what we mean by um, a rest ethic. And it's really important to balance those two and find the right rhythm between work ethic and rest ethic. Because just like an in-breath and an out-breath, they complement each other and one prepares you for the other. And it's really all about a conscious use of time. So it's not just time off doesn't mean laziness. Um, I mean, sometimes it's nice to just purely relax and sit on the couch or lie on the beach. But that's only a very, very small component of time off. Because there's so many other aspects of it, which take a bit more thoughtful approach, just like a work ethic actually needs some planning. So too, does a rest ethic need some planning and you actually need to schedule these things and put them in your calendar. Like a lot of people hope that relaxation or time off just appears when they don't have any work scheduled. But one thing we really recommend people is take it as serious as seriously as you would take a work commitment and put it in the calendar and really protect your rest and protect your time off. Mm. So it has to be planned. It has to be on purpose. Thank you, Max. John, what are, you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I'll just double stitch some of what Max said. And I find a lot of times people will say, cool, I'm, I'm in. My intuition tells me that I deserve more time off and, you know, a rest ethic is made up of so many different things and you get to build your own unique recipe just to give an, an insight. We've got a bunch of deep dives in the book to help really broaden the connotation of time off. For example, there's rest, which is literally like, you know, stepping away, relaxing, resting. There's many ways to do that. There's of course sleep, probably the oldest form of time off. We have exercise, which is an active form of time off, solitude, reflection, play, which is one of my favorites, uh, travel, your relationship to technology. And, and so as I said those words, hopefully the listeners are thinking, oh, there's parts of my lifestyle where in my hobbies where, yes, it's playful or it's, you know, highly reflective or I'm in solitude. You know, journaling, for example, is a, is a quality time off practice. And I guess what I, what I want to make clear is that you have to understand the value of, of those resets, of, of those disconnections. And, and that, that's what helped me as more of a type A achiever really embrace time off is once I understood its purpose in my overall creative process and professional process. And it, I looked at it as an investment in better ideas, in better perspective. Because when we take time off from the thing we're actively trying to 
produce or solve. We're allowing our subconscious and a bunch of other cool things uh, in our existence incubate. You know, as, as they say, you can be on a walk and boom, there's your, there's your breakthrough idea. And until you cultivate that space, you're not allowing that investment to re, uh, return. And so I think what's important is however you design your rest ethic, our book gives you many, many ways to do it. But first know that it is productive and it is noble when you do these things. And what you have to do is you have to unlearn a lot of cultural, I consider them highly toxic ideals that were introduced. It's, you know, one, one thing is the Protestant work ethic, which was intended to literally keep people out of trouble. <laughs> and, and, and over the centuries, it wormed its way down into our psyche and made us con confused because now all of a sudden we see working hard as a moral thing and an identity thing. Um, and as humans, like we need rest and not only do we need it, like what we find rest in is noble. It's beautiful. It gives us meaning. And so you have to unlearn some of these cultural ideals that were just kind of handed over from a, from a, a, an earlier time that's no longer relevant. Well, I like what you said on investing in ideas. I think that's outstanding because how many times have we talked to friends or colleagues that are resentful? I've worked so hard. I put in so many hours and there's no recognition or they feel like there's not recognition. But when you talk about investing in ideas, better ideas, investing in yourself and your family and however you're doing it, I think that's very powerful. So what I'd like to do is, I don't want to say cut to the chase, but we know there's two barriers uh, that people are going to experience. And I want you guys to debunk them right here on the podcast. A lot of times when I talk to people, I say, if you had no barriers, if money were no object, if, if time was not an issue, just remove every barrier you have, what would you do and how would you do it? So the first barrier somebody's going to say to us is, well, I, I can't afford to take, I can't afford to have time off. I can't afford vacations. I can't afford time off. That's the money argument, which I don't buy, but what do you say? And, and maybe your book addresses it or not, but as experts, as professionals, how do we debunk that? That has nothing to do with money. And John already pointed out that, well, the book contains many, many different aspects of time off, and there are really so many different approaches to it. And we really hope that everyone will find their own. And sure, some of them are not applicable to everyone. Like not everyone can just suddenly take a six month sabbatical or something. But there's so many tiny micro practices. Everyone can get a journal and do just sit down for 10 minutes and do some journaling. There's one profile in the book I really like, which is Hermann Hesse. He was a German uh, novelist and poet. And he said something like, um, a man who for the first time on his way to work picks up a flower and puts that on his desk has taken a huge step towards joy in life. And we summarize his profile um, basically by saying what he recommends is time off microdosing. So really just notice these little beautiful moments in your life. Like so many people are just running through their life distracted and um, well, busy, again, kind of holding their breath. But if you just pause and notice those little joys, that's already a huge, huge step towards time off and actually it's probably the best first step because if you can't enjoy those little things 
you're not going to get too much out of a long, crazy, expensive vacation. It might feel great in a moment, but in the long term, if you don't know how to actually appreciate the small things, it might leave you feeling even less fulfilled and less meaningful in a way. Understood. And I think that's good that the book talks about many different ways to in invest energy or to reset um, by taking this time off. And of course, the other roadblock or barrier is going to be, well, I don't have too busy. I don't have the time. And, and in my professional life, I never use time as an excuse because to me, if it's important, it gets done. It, it, I get 150 emails a day. Everybody gets a response the exact same day. And the only time I'm going to tell a person I can't help them or, or uh, I'm not able to do their project, it's not because I'm busy because it doesn't fall into the priorities that I'm working on. I think time is the worst excuse on the planet. So, John, how would you, uh, and again, it could be in the book, it just could be as a professional, how do you coach people with time should never be a barrier? So I would say one of the profiles that I enjoy the most that was really my moment when I became aware that I was a workaholic and that I did not have a rest ethic and that I needed one was when I, I was traveling in, in Greece and I visited a place called Ikaria, which is a very remote island in Greece that has a lot of centenarians. So people over the age of a hundred, there's actually a fascinating concentration of them there. So whatever they have going on there is interesting to me. And so Long story short, the ancient Greeks believed in two different gods, and each one symbolized a different type of time. The first one we all know very well, which is Kronos. So that's literally minutes, seconds, hours. And, and Kronos definitely has its purpose. Like we all like it when the plane leaves at 9 a.m. on the dot, and we planned for it. Um, so there is value in it. But if, if that's the only lens that you see time through, it limits you, and it, and it turns us into that mindset that we don't have time because it's very hard to control Kronos time. So they came up with a God that was a different form of time named Kairos. And Kairos is more of a quality of time, the density of a moment. You know, those moments when we're in a flow state working on something that uh, brings us a lot of meaning, it seems to stop time or when we're playing in a park or when a nice breeze is brushing over us on a long walk that's kairos time and for me just having that binary changes a lot of things because i i no longer focus on chronos time with my work i focus on kairos time and it's less about how much time i put in and it's more about the opportune time to work on something and really being in tune with my chronotype which is different but also just knowing when an, an idea strikes that I'm gifted it. I, di I didn't force it out. And so I, I find that it's, it's easy to be stressed out about time if you only look at it through the lens of Kronos, whereas if you start looking at it as different densities, like a high-quality moment versus a low-quality moment, and start cultivating the practices and, and there's actually a micro practice that I'll mention that will help get you started. And anyone can do this as long as you 
have a pen and paper or a voice recorder. Um, and it's actually from a, a profile in our deep dive on reflection, which is actually one of my favorite uh, sections in the book. It's meant to be revisited many, many times. And, and one of the reflections is called making a more of less of list. And this can, at any moment in your life, it could be at work, it could be a specific project, it could be regarding your relationships, your mentors, or just completely inward on your own behaviors. You, you, you could either take one piece of paper and just draw down the middle so that you have two columns, or you could have two pieces of paper, and you simply for five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour, whatever you're called to, on one side, you write, what are the things I'm trying to have more of in life? And usually that list is filled with things that are heavy Kairos moments. And then on, on, the, on the other side, you have less of. And these are things that are exhausting. They're usually toxic. They're not really serving you. And, and, you, and you make a list of those things. And it's at the end of that reflection exercise, you actually have a lot of confidence because now you have clarity. You have a clear North Star to move forward with. And, and I found that it, every time I do that exercise, I realize I'm letting Kronos time stress me out for no reason because most of Kronos time we, we can't control. So why stress out about it? And by the way, that island I mentioned, that's why people live there for so long because they have a low stress hormone because they're like, oh yeah, that Kronos thing, no need in stressing over it. You can't control it. Whereas they try to just cultivate quality Kairos time. Yeah, actually, just to sorry, just to add a little forward to that, to the whole busyness idea, um, both John and I have worked in AI and automation. And those people who pride themselves in their busyness, so who do busy work all the time, they should be aware that that's going to be the first work that's going to be automated. Everything you do in your chronos time, that's really where AI and automation is going to take over very, very quick. What's going to be left is this kind of high quality time, this kairos time, which is really the creativity and empathy and the things that AI is not going to replace anytime soon. So people should really think where they reinvest their time in those areas. And I think that's very valuable, not just the quality of time that you're paying attention to, but really focusing your, um, I think I don't look at time as something to manage. I look at energy as something to manage um, because time is, is finite. At the end of 24 hours, it's gone and a new 24 hours starts. It's like saying you're going to manage a chair. You know, the chair is going to just sit there. So for me, time isn't something you manage, but energy is. And if all you're doing is spending your energy to get stuff done and not having the quality piece or, the, or investing your energy into the things that you enjoy or that you're good at, um, I can see how that can wear you down. I can see the value of really focusing on that quality and investing in that time. Um, you know, we're in uh, a very uh, unique situation. And, you know, Max, it, it, obviously it's a, it's a world problem, but, uh, you know, in, Tok in Tokyo, you're affected. And the United States, our economy and, and pandemic has taken a different toll for many reasons. Um, but I think there's a lot of, I don't think, there are a lot of people that are scared because they don't know. And so what happens is social media, 
Facebook, Netflix, um, take on this role of I need to occupy my time. And I try to limit my screen time as much as possible because I don't want to get lost in information. So I'd like, you know, Max or John or both, however you like, talk about when people are sitting there, regardless of your situation, you could be unemployed, you could be working, you could be scared about your finances, you could be in the financial services business trying to figure out what our economy is going to look like post-pandemic. Regardless of where you're at, how can you really take this time that a lot of people have more time now than ever, and it's not because they're unemployed, it's because we're staying at home. You know, my dad's 89, my brother uh, is two years older than me, he's staying at home and making sure he limits his contact because my dad's 89, and he's not going to do well if my brother comes home infected, if that makes sense. So how would you advise someone with extra time on their hands to invest it wisely? It's such a wonderful question. Such a good point you're making. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Facebook, Netflix. We're all enjoying them and we're all working in technology, actually creating stuff like this. But it's really about the conscious use of these things and restricting it. And I mean, everyone who maybe spent the first week of lockdown and just binging Netflix will realize this leaves you pretty empty after a while or just pretty bored. And I think the people who are doing the best in this situation are those who manage to pour this sudden like extra free time into some projects that are really meaningful to them. And one concept we talk about in the book is this idea of noble leisure that goes back to Aristotle. And he essentially said, leisure is sort of the highest thing someone can aspire to much higher than just pure rest which is more this netflix watching or uh, spending time on facebook or work all of these are just there to support true leisure and true leisure to him or this noble leisure is anything that brings meaning to your life that can be a side project you really care about it can be cooking dinner for your family it can be whatever strange obsession you have but something that really fills you with meaning i think that's really what people should ask themselves. Like, where do I find meaning in my free time? Is it the watching Netflix? I mean, for some people, it might even be. Then, then that's great. But I think for most people, they will find it in something else, in some hobby they're really, really passionate about. And that's actually, even though these things might sometimes feel like work, I mean, for us writing the book, it was work. But at the same time, it was also a form of time off from everything else. And it filled us with an incredible sense of meaning. And it actually energized us for everything else we were doing. So I'd really encourage people to ask themselves. And it, it takes a bit of reflection. Maybe the first thing that comes to mind is actually not the right thing. So just take some time. But what kind of pursuits you or things you do really give you a sense of meaning? So that should be sort of the guiding, the North Star. I think sense of meaning is important. I think having the discipline to, to treat yourself to that, I think is important. John, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I've got, I've got two things. And after understanding your audience a bit, I, I, I thought this through a little bit prior to this interview. And the first is I know a lot of your listeners are going to be familiar with the strength finders framework. And I, Cool. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan and I do some workshops and coaching on it. And just last week I was two companies were merging 
and I coach them through how to make the most of that because sometimes two company cultures merging <laughs> uh, it can be like two new dogs trying to, to share. Right. I like you said, I like the way you said sometimes um, yeah. <laughs> that's difficult all the time. So I'm glad you're able to coach yeah. them. Yeah, sure. And you know, what well, I brought it back to this energy thing you said earlier, which I thought was brilliant. So if you look at the top five strengths of someone's strength profile, you know, whatever those are for you, if you're doing the type of leisure or work that is in tune with those five, you're going to be energized by that activity. And we all deserve that. Whereas if you look at your bottom five, if you're in a role or you're just surrounding yourself with things where you're in the bottom five all the time, it's probably going to be draining. And, and so that's something to be mindful of. So right now in this time, if you are a follower of strengths finder or any personality framework out there, whatever your results are from those assessments, I would really sit there and reflect on each one of your results. And then how do you cultivate more things in your life to accent those, to make the most of those? It's, a, it's an opportunity to double down because all of those traits are very human. And, and as Max has pointed to, we need more humanity that's become very apparent, not only in a global pandemic, but in the, in the future economy as more things get more, I'm optimistic about it, more of the mundane things get automated. We're, we're left with doing very human work. So now is a time to reach out, you know, communicate with your community, find ways to help and what normally we would consider volunteerism or extracurricular work, I have a strong belief that that is going to be the future of work as machines take over more of, of the mundane. So that's my first piece of advice is assess your strengths and invest in them through activities that accent them. And then the second one is comes from our, I'm actually going to read a paragraph from our book. You mentioned uh, devices and I have had a lot of trouble with this prior to this Again, I coached businesses in person. So I'd be at their, at their location in person. We we're having fun, doing workshops, different activities. We weren't really on technology all that much, whereas now I'm on Zoom calls, what feels like, you know, 10 plus hours a day. And it, and it gets very exhausting. And so we have, a, we have a deep dive called technology where we help people reframe their relationship with technology and I'll just read this short paragraph. It says, in the book, Digital Minimalism, Cal Newport urges us to, quote, focus your online time on a small number of carefully selected and optimized activities that strongly support things you value, and then happily miss out on everything else. Like so much of time off, it is about being conscious about how we spend our time and attention, or as you said, Brad, your energy. Every new tool or technology should be carefully evaluated and only if it adds a lot of extra value and it is up to us to define what value means, should we adopt it. And so these tools are awesome, especially if you align them with your value system and use them to cultivate meaning, but maybe it's in your more of less of list You'll, you'll know the parts about these tools and technologies that, that drain you, and, and then you can make a change. Well, I think that's absolutely excellent. 
And I think it's really important, um, the, the things that we talked about, investing in yourself, making it about quality, being disciplined and scheduling it because you owe it to yourself. You know, we work with people that are very successful in life, making career changes that need help. We're working with people that um, could be living on the street and they're homeless in transition and they need help to keep a job so they can get stable. And the one thing I tell my participants, and I would tell anyone listening about this concept of time off and this concept of reset ethic, you deserve it. You deserve to invest in yourself and take the time. I don't care what's going on in your life, who's telling you you're good or bad or whatever frustrations you're dealing with, if you can accept the simple fact that you deserve this type of quality and focus in your life, your opportunities and success will be unlimited. It's so simple. You deserve it. So I want to thank John and Max for joining us today. Their book is available right now. You can get it at Amazon. It's called Time Off. Um, it, I'll leave you guys with final thoughts, if you, whatever you want to share. If there's something I didn't ask you that you think is important to mention. And in writing this book, I am sure you didn't plan uh, that this is the perfect time for this book during a pandemic because people need to invest themselves. People need to take time appropriately, quality time, because you may not have as much time as you have now you might as well use it to, not only to your advantage, but to your healing, to your planning, to your goal setting, to your quality of life. And the only way to do that is to reset, pause, and do something very valuable and meaningful to you um, and you know to whomever you're with. So uh, again, John and Max, it sounds like a terrific book. I'm gonna be buying it. I'd like to read it. I'm sure there's stuff I can learn from it. Anything you want to leave us with uh, before we check out? I, I have one thing, and then Max, back me up. I thought what you said there at the end was so wonderful. It definitely gave me goosebumps, and it was powerful to hear you say that. And so that's something worth paying attention to if you're listening, is that, yes, you deserve time off. As Brad said, that is legitimate. It's all of our jobs to when we see a coworker, maybe even a boss that's hired you, or if you're managing a team, one of the greatest gifts we can give to another human is this concept of, hey, I see you. You look a little overwhelmed, overworked, stressed out. It's okay. Like, take the, take the rest of the day off or take the rest of the week off. Like, that's leadership. That's investing in human dignity. And so we all deserve to call each other out in a positive way when someone else is seeing what we can't see whenever we're burned out because uh, it, it feels so good when someone grants you that. And that, that really touched me because how I started this whole journey was some mentors who said, hey, John, this way you've, you've been, that's not working out for you. And we've, we've, we've noticed that. I, I hadn't really noticed that. And they, and they gave me that space to not feel guilty um to invest in time off and to change my life so i feel we are we're all responsible for helping others 
realize that they shouldn't feel guilty. Thank you, John. Max, we'll give you the final word. Yeah, I think what you two just said was so beautiful and so true. I don't want to follow that with some long-winded detour on something. But Brett, you also mentioned, yes, we didn't plan to have it come out during this time, of course. But as you said, it's very, very timely now. And a lot of people need this right now. But at the same time, there are already a lot of people who are doing the right things and who are using this time to do amazing things. People who finally, well, write that book or, I don't know, start that business, um, make that album they were thinking about. So I really, A, I'm super excited to get the book out into readers' hands and hopefully contribute to a movement. But also, I think I really want to encourage people to just think, how can you use this time? It is tough, but there's always some opportunities in these kind of tough times. Like how can you use this to do something great and really find something that's really meaningful to you in your life going forward? Outstanding. And I think it's, it, I just really appreciate the work that you've done, the contribution and what you've shared with us today in our podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, I know I'm going to be getting the book and I know I'm going to learn from it. Um, thank you both for your efforts and in by the example that you're leading. I think everyone needs to understand this. Everyone needs to invest in it for your success, for your relationships, for quality of life. Um, and again, it's, it's not a balance of life, like work-life balance, you know, I think we work more than we sleep sometimes, but I like to call it a work-life blend, where sometimes you need to put in a little extra to get something over the top or to get completed, but then blend it, reset, take that time off, take that quality, that on-purpose scheduled time to do something that's meaningful and special. You'll never forget it and you'll never regret it. So um, thank you both. Uh, uh, thank you everyone for listening to the Career Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Lebowski, President and Chair of Hunger for Success. And we look forward to listening to you again very soon. Thank you. This has been the Career Mentor Podcast, intellectual property of hunger for success. All rights reserved, 2020.